do? Well, the, the other, the, so there's two worries. One's a fine, which could be, so if it's of the magnitude it was last time, they're talking about another billion dollar fine, yeah. which is something but, they can manage, but because they've got lots of cash. not ideal, but still. But it's not ideal. It's bad to be fined a billion dollars, obviously. You can't just dismiss it, even if you've got cash on your books, because you, you want to use that for other things. It yeah. smart. Um, so it's obviously going to have an effect on the share price. And then the other measures could include, so that's potentially worse, because it might include the US doing something like blocking the Vonage takeover. That would be the right. worst thing. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. We're recording this a day early because it's just ahead of the Easter break and I'll finally get some time off. Moan, complain. <laughs> um, so good Friday tomorrow, although we're going to a colleague's wedding. Well, if we're up to it, Ian, we're both feeling a bit under the weather, aren't we? <coughs> we're both, there we are. <laughs> Ian coughed on cue there. Sorry. Uh, yeah. No, no, that was, that was good. Even though you weren't listening to me, that happened to be quite timely. Yeah, he's while so I was saying. absorbed by those numbers. I know. Because he, he's suddenly confronted with the extent of his own ignorance on this matter. That's what it is. <laughs> um, he's not even laughing at my joys. Um, so, yes. Yeah, we're both just feeling a little bit... I feel like I've got a little little tickle in the back of my throat. I did a little COVID test. I don't think it's that. You've got a little tickle in the Yeah, I don't know what it is. And you were hanging out with someone, some card-carrying COVID plague person. But you've been tested and you haven't got it, according to the test. According to the test. So, it turns out we're allowed to have other bugs. After two years, we're allowed to just have a cold or a sniffle or whatever other respiratory filth flies around in the air the whole time. Um, but it's a nice day, so hopefully that will sort it out. Um, Pierre, Pierre, you can't see this, those who are watching or obviously listening, but Pierre's got his face buried in his shirt because he's... Uh, it's too comfortable to keep you going for an hour and a half. I know, because he's stuck in a room with two people who've admitted to having a bug and now he's paranoid yeah you got little kids you must get ill all the time anyway yeah. they're like little petri dishes yeah i just want to try to get extra extra on top of yeah. all that um so yes that's that anything else to talk about no it's been another sort of not particularly buzzy week although we've I've been in today a lot of so, well you haven't been in have you not really but you sort of do some work don't you you hardly ever take proper holiday uh did a bit on tuesday Bit on Tuesday. Today I was bit. working, obviously. Today, oh, okay. So this wasn't one of these days where you just came in for the pod. Do you actually? No, did? I've done that before, but because yeah. I'm so dedicated, obviously. You are. Um, but no, I, I did. I you did. are more dedicated. When, when we consider it's called the Telecoms.com podcast and not the Light Reading podcast, I have no right to expect this degree of dedication from mm, you. I know, but I think it's the promise. You can, of, you can buy me more beers if you promise like. Promise of my awesome company that brings <laughs> you in, isn't it? He's a team player. Um, oh, yeah, one thing I want to talk about before we get into the main segments. So last week we uh, chatted about this. We, we captioned it 5G NRBS um, on the video. Talking about is, you know, it's new radio, just bollocks. And I sort of went, look, anyone who's listening, you know, if you know more than us, which is most people who work in telecoms, well, speaking only for myself, um, you know, let us know. And we got some really sort of comprehensive responses. So the, the, the ones we mentioned last week, there are some this week. I'm not, I'm not going to name them because I haven't... I'm not going to dwell on it. But some people who really know a lot. I don't know if you saw an, an email I sent you. Um, it, you probably did if you were working today. But one guy, Ferris. Um, did you see that email? Uh, yeah, I didn't read all of it because yeah. it went on a bit. It's fucking long. Yeah. But it's really detailed. Hmm. 
Um, and and then another person gave quite a long and detailed comment on uh, on the pod itself. And long and short of it is, I still don't think anyone's got a problem with our very specific um, nitpick mm. about like for like on the same amount of spectrum in the same conditions. There's nothing new and amazing, but there is quite a lot of cleverness going on in terms of how they do massive MIMO. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, lots of stuff they could do. I mean, I think one correspondent corrected me when I was sort of conflating carrier aggregation and massive MIMO and said they're different things. They, do, they are different, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think you probably corrected yeah, me at the yeah. time. But in, in my mind, it was still a way of just setting up parallel pipes to make a bigger, yeah. fatter pipe. But presumably underlying technology is quite different. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and lots of the other stuff and, you know, and other people making it clear that some of some of the stuff that comes with new radio isn't just to do with the, their interface and, and, and uh, data rates, but but how it can do clever things like beamforming and how it can interact with the, the standalone core and all that sort of stuff. So I'll, I'll sort of partially retreat yeah. from that position quite happily because I never thought I knew what I was talking about. I just always felt like a dilettante who, perhaps because I don't really know that much, feel that I can just go, well, isn't this all bollocks? Because yeah. I don't really have a reputation to protect. It's not like going, oh, my God, Scott, the guru of all things to do with 5G technically has got this one wrong. But I also think it's part of our job to be a sort of canary in the coal mine and, and ask the question. But then, but then have the humility and grace to, when people who know better than us, put us straight. And anyway, I'm you the reason... I'm such humility and grace. Well, I'm known for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, my I middle name. I, I mean, it's more, more seemed like a sort of validation of what we were saying to me. Maybe I misread the email, but it was more like, you know, sort of just going into it in more detail to me. I didn't read it. I didn't yeah. read it in detail. I, I didn't think it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I don't think it was a, re a total refutation. I mean, if I had to summarise it in just one simple sentence, it would be it's complicated. So you're yeah. right, but there's a lot of other factors that you might not have thought yeah. about or spoken about. Um, anyway, well, I, I said to that correspondent, I said, uh, seeing as he knows what he's talking about, and he's long been a fan of the pod, I said, if he ever fancies coming in one day, because yeah. he's obviously a very senior, yeah. accomplished technical person, he's obviously got to be prepared to talk shit. We can't have the whole pod just talking about technical stuff, or yeah. things can get rowdy. We'll start hitting my hip flask and rioting. Mm. Um, so uh, we've got to mix up the technical stuff with talking shit, because that's what a pod does, isn't it? I think the other correspondent said, you know, they quite often when they when they write in, they say, you know, I love the pod for the banter, and then they get into the technical. So you've got to have a bit of both. It's like sugaring the pill, isn't it? Definitely. Um, but we'll leave it at that because we've got um, we've got Neil McRae, uh coming in next week, and he's going to put us straight, and he'll get technical. So I'm just going to keep our powder dry on that one. Also, we've banged on about it a fair bit anyway. Yeah. And we do have some shit to talk about this week. So what are we going to talk about? So... Today kind of rescued the week in terms of hard news. Um, I mean, there is one part of the first segment we can talk about did did occur, did emerge earlier on in the week, but the main segment we can talk about is Ericsson's quarterlies. But what's interesting about them isn't necessarily the numbers, which were sort of solid. They were you know, they weren't sort of too big a deal one way or the other, as far as I could tell. Um, but you know, some of the commentary that went around it, specifically the pulling out of Russia and even more importantly for Ericsson the aggro they've got over some of their alleged dodgy dealings in Iraq back in the day yeah um, and you know that might lend itself to other tangents like the sort of geopolitical um, 
you know, where geopolitics and telecoms overlap, which seems to be increasingly be what's happening. So we'll start off by talking about that. Then I've got it was a little story, just a little rumour, but I think, it, I think it might yield some interesting chat. There's a rumour that um, Vodafone was sniffing around TalkTalk for acquisition, for m and I don't know if we spoke about it last week, but, you know, ever since, um, certainly ever since uh, Virgin Media and O2 combined, everyone's like, oh, is Vodafone going to buy three or is Vodafone going to buy whoever? Um, but, you know, as I think in that story, uh, we got some comments from our friend of the pod, um, Paolo, Paolo the Fisherman, Pescatore. Yeah. Um, and he was going, there just isn't much M&A opportunity. I mean, there's not many things left to buy. So one might be three, another might be talk talk. So that was a rumour. So we'll, we'll talk about whether that would be a good idea or not, and whether Vodafone should do M- any M and A. There's a lot of fibre networks that you can buy. What, like City Fibre or one of the like yeah. Hyper Optic or whatever? I mean, yeah. Well, we can get onto this one. Yeah, talk yeah. About well, it. I would have thought one of those would be more sensible than talk talk. Yeah. No, I think especially given how we just got ourselves up to speed as to how much of a network talk talk has of its own. Um, and then we're going to finish off sort of breaking a few hours before we started recording this pod that Elon Musk, having bought like 9% of Twitter, just went, fuck it, I'll have the rest um, for 42.1 billion. So does that mean he wants to take it private? Yeah. Oh, wow. He wants to own the whole thing. Um, and yeah, and, and that's part of um, that part of because he, he's got some rationale. So we don't have to completely speculate because you never know of Musk. He might just be doing it because he was pissed. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm being facetious. Obviously, he's a smart guy. He doesn't get to be, I think, the richest person in the world on paper. Mm-hmm. Depends on, on where Tesla's stock is versus Amazon's stock it or, does, or yeah. Microsoft's stock or whatever. Um, but he's right up there. Uh, he doesn't get to be that by just being completely whimsical and, and, and frivolous. But sometimes you do get the impression, now that he's got all this cash, that... He feels like doing something interesting with it, rather than like being a Warren Buffett and just slowly mm. making it bigger and bigger. So, um, so those are three things we'll chat about. Um, and then just to remind you, if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. And if you like some of the shit coming out of my mouth, then you might want to subscribe to the telecoms.com newsletter. And if you like some of the shit coming out of Ian's mouth... You might want to subscribe to the Light Reading newsletter. There we go. Right, so Ericsson's quarterlies. Have I been organised and got them up? Doesn't look like it. What a twat. <laughs> um, what? I've got about I've got about ten tabs open. <laughs> I've got about ten tabs open, and none of them are the thing that I should have open. Um, Okay, here it is. So my headline was uh, Ericsson's shares sink further after tough Q1 earnings report. Their shares were down at a time of writing that story about seven percent, which isn't huge, but given that they well, fell, it's pretty big. Yeah, still, yeah, it is, it is significant. But they've fallen a fair bit anyway. They certainly fell a shitload when the Iraq thing first came out. Well, do you know what they're down since mid-February? What twenty-eight percent? There we go. Oh, Ericsson is. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Still up on where it was when um, Echo became CEO. Right. My 20 quid's like about 16 quid. I think the low point... Four quid you owe me, boy, yeah? I think the low point in 2017, were, they were about 40-odd. Yeah. Which was a few months into his sort of CEO-ship. And um, they're now about 80-odd. So they're still twice that. But they were up at sort of 115, 116 yeah, yeah, in yeah. mid-February. It's all so. definitely gone a bit peak tongue since then. Um, so... 
So the reason they went down, so they, their sales were organically up 3%. That means allowing for adjusting for adjustments, as I like to say. Um, so that's fine. Mm. And, and they still seem to be ticking along nicely in the Americas and in Europe. Um, they're pretty much down anywhere sort of uh, east of, I don't know, I don't know what counts as Europe. Um, maybe Russia does. Well, we'll come on to that in a sec. Well, they, they are doing well in Europe. Yeah, yeah. There's any doubt about that. They, yeah, so they, mainly they Western Europe. They, they, they have problems in Asia, but a lot of that's to do yeah. with the timing of project work. That was right. There was... So, for instance, one of the big J- Japanese operators, the way they tend to do things is they do a build-out with Nokia and then they move on to doing the build-out with Ericsson. And, and it was Ericsson's turn first. And is that, that a thing that, in Japan? That it's like Nokia I think, first I think and it's specific to do to Japan. It just tends to be how these things work, that you do a project build-out with one of the, okay. one of the vendors. And so the way on. you said it, it made it sound like it was always Nokia first. Right. No, no I just, it's just, I just they, read they, they, have, they have a two-vendor thing, and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. One, one gets built up first, and then they move on Fair to another enough. one. They don't have them in parallel. It, yeah, some, yeah. I think they can do, but they sometimes works that way. And especially if you pick one vendor, for, say, for urban deployments, and the other one's for rural, then you probably focus on your urban coverage first. So the vendor yeah. that's got the rural will... I'd like to think they don't have it at the same time, because if a Nokia engineer and an Ericsson engineer bump into each other, they'd have a massive fight. Could be that. They just take have an argument about off. what they're going to eat for lunch. Take their tops off, drink some Aquavit, and just <laughs> fucking get to it. Um, or whatever the Finnish equivalent of Aquavit is. I imagine they've got some firewaters even more scary than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever been out in Finland? Then they drink a lot of vodka in Finland. It probably is. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. Oh, yeah, you've got Finlandia, isn't it? I haven't had that for a while. I think it's Where's Absolute it's from? Is that Swedish? Yeah. So you got sweet, you got absolute, you got Finland. So they all like a bit of an aquavit. I don't know. It's all just fire water. Yeah, Norwegian. It's, yeah. it's uh, it's heavy going. Um, anyway, uh, so so yeah, the, the numbers doing all right, but their uh, margins are down, and there are a few reasons. I might you might have a better idea, as you've probably been more thorough than I have. But one of the reasons their margins are down is because they take a one-off hit on um, pulling out of Russia, on, on which. We might elaborate more in a sec. And then they had some other stuff. They had one contract, one big contract they normally, recurring contract they normally recognise in Q1 that went over to Q2. And um, I don't know, over to you, Ian. Do you remember any other sort of highlights um, from their numbers? Yeah, I think the margins, as you say, there's the Russia, what, indefinite suspension, I think they've called it. It's a little bit different from Nokia's take on Russia, actually. Right. Because it raises a possibility that they could go back in in the future. Whereas Nokia's... Whereas Nokia's much more final. They don't want to be in Russia anymore. Um, Nokia just said, fuck Russia. And maybe it'll go that way for Ericsson as well, but they have held, obviously, held out the possibility of being able to go back. But there's that. There's this weird 300 million (coughs) um, sec hit on Ericsson Ventures, which was unexplained. Um, But they've written down that's their investment fund. Right. Presumably so they've some, invested in something that's gone... Well, it's a, it's a VC fund, so yeah. it has various investments, but the, they they wrote down uh, the value of that. Right. Which suggests, as you say, they've invested in something that hasn't worked out. Or Maybe has, they invested in something in Russia. It could be to do with Russia, but it wasn't explained, and I was waiting for somebody... Don't get me started on my Evraz Steel holdings. Well, I was waiting oh. for somebody to ask a question in the earnings call, and they didn't. And then I didn't, I don't know about you, but I didn't get offered my 10 minutes with Frederick Yedley. No, this time that's around. true. That was conspicuously uh, And maybe it's because he's away, it's Easter, or it's Q1. Or well, because they just thought there's too much aggro flying around. Possibly it's that. I don't know what the reason was. I don't know was, why they bother, because we know Yedling, if you asked him about that, he'd, 
he'd have his forward defensive stroke all lined he up. He might do, but sometimes he sometimes he gives you a little bit more detail about what's right. going on. So, I, but, I, but yeah, there no, was I didn't not get anybody immediately I could really find. So there was that. Um, I mean, I think that the main reason the the shares sort of went, they missed estimates basically, and and obviously I think the Russia write down was to do with that. But on margin, they didn't miss on revenue. I don't think did they. Well, I'm guessing they did miss on revenue because if they, there must be some kind of revenue impact on, you know, on on Russia already. I would have thought if they if they sell, but, but they, would they it get be in two, Q1? When did it kick off? Well, kicked off late February. Yeah, so that's a whole mark. They, they get two so. percent of their revenues from Russia, right? Four point one billion last year, sec, which is what half a billion dollars or something. I right. don't know. Um, there's two percent of their revenues anyway from Russia, so they've had a month and a half. So there must be some sales impact. Yeah, fair um, enough. So, so there's that, and that you know, there's, uh, there's also, I mean, the other thing I noticed is digital services is all of a sudden, I mean, that's been this bit of Ericsson that they just don't seem to be able to turn no. around ever since ever since he um, Ecom came in, and I worked out what the losses are on that. It's, it's loss making again still. Yeah, in the yeah, first I've got those numbers up actually. Managed services has, well, has managed been services a bigger is problem. Profitable. Child, isn't it? No, managed services is profitable, but um, digital not service, organic. Oh, no, that was, managed that was services makes down, a profit. Sorry. Managed services definitely makes a profit, an operating profit, whereas digital services doesn't, and and that's been going on for for yeah. you know, ever since Ecom took over, and um, and and there were lots of questions on the analyst call this morning about why it's doing badly, and why it seems to be taking longer to get it together mm. than, and they were very coy in answering. They, I mean, they they got asked a question sort of. In, in slightly different ways, four or five times, and neither neither Boya Echo or Carl Melandi, who's the CFO, really yeah. sort of gave a straight answer. They kind of said, "We've got a brilliant product portfolio, but we're just not executing well enough," which has been the case for years. And yeah, and it's and it's kind of um, I worked out what the losses are since Echo took over at that unit. It's five point six billion dollars they've lost at digital right. services. That's no small amount of money, which is a lot in in the last sort of few years, and. You sort of think, when is it ever going to is it ever going think, to be profitable? Do you think when he no. took over? So it's like it's like BSS OSS lot of sort of software, like that, that go that goes into networks, but the non actual kit side of it. That's, well, it's the five G core, isn't it? A lot of it. That's right. where a lot of it is now. Right. Yeah. And that's you know, where the growth is. And, really. and you can see why someone who is really strong on the RAN, yeah, would also want to be involved in the core. You know. It, we, we remember back to our analysis of the Nokia acquisition of Alcatel Lucent, and they were trying to go for this end-to-end. You know, you can get a you can get a RAN and the backhaul and the, the fixed line and yeah. all that sort of thing. Um, but in hindsight, do you think he should have just gone? Nah, we're just not very good at this, and just tried to flog. No, because I don't. I don't think they're not. It's not the case that they're not good at it in terms of the products they're producing. Right. I mean, they've got, apparently they've got, you look at what's going on in the UK, for instance, how many operators have picked Ericsson as the 5G core. Right. You know, I mean, they're up there. I think they've probably got more. They said out of the 20 top operators in the world, they've got six core network contracts with 16 of them. But I think the problem is that the, the legacy business has just basically fallen off a cliff. And it's possibly still hurting them from a sales perspective. And legacy core is that, or just other bits of software? Well, well no one, well, no one buys a three G core anymore, do they? No. Or whatever. So, and other other things but as well. But what about? Unless I misunderstood, is like BSS, for example. That's not necessarily that's the same in as that core, area as well. But it's not the same. No, but it's in that part of the business. Yeah. No. So um, what I'm asking is, they could be good at core, but shit at BSS. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the reason. I think the reasons are that the legacy business is, has fallen away. A lot of the old IT stuff, a lot of the old software products right. that they used to make money from, have sort of, you know, they're, they're 
they're just going, you know, and and they don't have something to replace here because until I think the way that they clock, the way that they sort of report revenues and record revenues is when it's not necessarily when the contract's signed; it's when these things come into use, and it's the same on the radio side. You know, they, they they strike deals, but the revenues don't start to show up until those networks actually are being used by the operators. You know, and and as you know, because we've been talked about this a, a million times, how many times? How many? How quickly is five G standalone taking off? Mm, you know, not so much. It's you know, I mean, we we've been at various press conferences recently where people have been talking about moving from non standalone to standalone and how difficult it is to do that, and there's a lot of investment required. Yeah, and it's going to be a while before we can. And launch that's presumably it. why standalone five years ago was invented, because it always felt like a bit of a fudge when they came up with it. Um, but it was a way of getting 5G going without doing it fully. What well, non-standalone? You mean? Sorry, is that, yeah, yeah, did I say yeah. standalone? I meant non-standalone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I think the, the the standalone is just taking longer to to sort of come to fruition and to sort of yeah. arrive in the market. And therefore, they haven't really got the the sales a lot of the sales to show for it yet. And and they're so maybe I'm being unkind. I mean, the losses are down a lot. They were they were making huge losses. It was mm. like 27.6 billion Swedish krona, whatever that is. I think in 2017, and it was down to four billion or two billion or something last year. So it's obviously narrowed a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's still it's still not profitable. And it, and it's sort of you, the other thing you wonder is whether they've got a bit of a kind of. I mean, they mentioned execution, which which sounds like they're saying we've got a bit of an efficiency problem there, and we need to do some you know some cost controls i mean they've obviously done a lot of headcount reduction i think at the main networks business over the last few years and they sold certain assets didn't they that they considered to be non-core and staff would obviously have left when that Mm -hmm. happened but i don't really because they were kind of a bit coy and evasive on the call it wasn't really clear whether they're thinking we need to carl melander did say we need to look at doing using automation more on digital services to sort of improve efficiency i've heard that before yeah yeah and um you know, if you if you sale the sales performance wasn't disastrous. It wasn't like yeah. it plummeted. I think it went down two percent organically, um, which is what I mean. It's fairly flattish, and yet they're still they're still reporting losses. It just sounds like you've got a structural problem in the group. You know, that needs addressing really. Um, yes, I mean, and, obviously, you know, and what there isn't a sign of is any kind of inflection point, any kind of sort of heading in the right direction well it's it's better it's better than it was a few years ago in terms of how how loss making it is it's nowhere near what what it was reporting they're much narrower losses than they used to be but but i just just think that that unit is is i mean you could tell from the way the questions are being asked this morning by these equity analysts that they're sort of thinking why is this taking so long yeah yeah which is a reasonable question to ask um and i think that's you know, then you look at what happened with the share price. I think there's probably something to do with. I think that's probably yeah, so some reflection maybe, of that in there. Maybe, maybe I'm sort of simplifying it. Um, but the the thing I put down to share price. So I'm going to read a bit of um, Boyack Holmes because I didn't listen in on the analyst call because uh, that's the kind of committed professional I am. But um, but it was a particularly long bit in their press release, particularly long bit of commentary from the CEO. Um, and so this Iraq thing, mm. where they're, they're, they've pretty much admitted to some of their employees or their direct rep- representatives greasing the palms of some dodgy people in Iraq in order to do business. Yeah. Um, and and this is extra awkward for them because it's not the first time they've been caught doing 
perceived unethical shit. And they got done by the US um, for, I think it was like mainly North Africa and stuff, I seem to remember. Yeah. Maybe well, the Middle East as well. Um, those sort of markets. And for some reason, it's the it's the US's jurisdiction, which we might get onto again, because that still rankles with me. Well, it, it's not. It's any regulator yeah, can yeah. go after But they're the ones, them, who, they're the ones who do. No, totally. Totally. I just still think... Uh, I still think... Um, yeah, you know, just sometimes you get that you get a one country that's just got that's just got more resource and more power than other, than others, and and they do become ad hoc global policemen. Yeah. Now, having said that, this is a complete tangent. There's plenty of times where the Yanks are the world policemen, and we're grateful for them doing it. Yeah. Like when they steam into pl- countries where it's all going horribly wrong, and it's mainly their money and their lives and their effort that's going into putting it straight. Granted, they more often than not fuck it up, like Afghanistan or whatever, but no one else is going to do it. So I, I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and not say that, the, you know, you've got to take it rough with the smooth. But I just still find it odd that Ericsson screws up in Iraq and it's got to answer. A Swedish company screws up in Iraq and they've got answers to the well, Americans. Well, it's because they've, they've, they've got presence in America. Yeah, well, everyone, so they can everyone's be, they got can... some presence in America, haven't they? But they've well, got presence in the UK, but companies. they don't have to answer to us, do they? They do. Any regulator could go after them. Any, yeah. any regulator where they're active, where they so have... Why do you a, think no one except the Yanks does? Well, I think a lot... They use dollars for those payments. That's it, maybe. The fines maybe. are in... The fines... I don't know... If, yeah, I mean, I don't know what, whether they get fined in kroner or dollars, but I think the reason the US goes after them is because a lot of what you've said, that they like they to wield their... No, but no, I, mean, I mean, I can certainly can understand why the US would be more bothered about why they'd be upset by something like this. The idea that a company's paid um, terrorist organisations, as, as the US would call them, and, and, and this company's active in your market. And, and, and look, if they're going to go after ZTE for selling stuff in Iran, you know, that includes US components, then... Yeah. Then... And that's the way they do things. Then, so that, then yeah, why that not was, go after that Ericsson was, that was as well? sanction busting. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just... I mean, it's obviously, it's obviously sanctions busting to... <laughs> I've just got a lingering thing. In fact, I might... Well, actually, let's talk, let's talk about it now while we're doing this tangent. I think... This is a geopolitical, not a telecoms tangent um, warning now. Um, I actually think the Americans might have just overdone it on this... on this sort of world police thing. Not... Like, again, I'm going to admit my own hypocrisy. I, I'm grateful to them when they're the ones who steam into a country that's gone, that's gone mad and, and try and sort it out. Because no one else can do it. Yeah. Yeah. The UK's military presence overseas is is just tiny. We only just managed to sort of sort out the Falklands in the 80s. And I don't think, I certainly think we've diminished since then. So it's only the Americans that can do it from in the Western Hemisphere, in the sort of Western world. But um, it's more like what's been happening with sanctions. And we've spoken about this a few times on the pod. Things like the Americans saying, right, MasterCard and Visa, you got cut off. Russia, and and I just think they're they're sticking their neck out too far. They're overextending because they they're telegraphing to the rest of the world that isn't necessarily like Western Europe or certainly the UK, where we we'll pretty much go along with whatever the Americans do. Certainly since Brexit, we're kind of compelled to because uh, you know people like France are not fans of us now, are they, Pierre? Um, uh, although maybe uh, are they not? Maybe if uh, Marine Le Pen wins. Oh God! No, they would probably hate you more. Do you think that's going to happen? No. This looks like it might be a tightest vote yet, though. But yeah, most no, people don't reckon she will. They'll unite against her. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know. Since 2016, I don't know anything anymore. 
<laughs> yeah. But um, so, can you vote from the UK in the French election? Uh, yeah. Can I ask you what you're going to vote? You don't have to answer. Uh, to be fair, I haven't voted in a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that apathy, or you just think all politicians are wankers, or what? It's, uh, yeah. Also, like I feel like weird. I haven't been there in f- sixteen years. Right. And, so you and feel like I a bit pick of an a imposter president, poking your nose in. It doesn't really affect me. No, that's fair. That's very honest of you. Very, very uh, principled. Mm. Um, so anyway. I mean, if things were like close, I'd probably step in. Yeah, you'd be like, "What's steady on?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and it turns out that Pierre from South London <laughs> tipped the balance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be one one day. Well, indeed. Um, so yeah, so this Iraq thing, I think that had the biggest effect on their share price. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read out a bit of Boy Ekholm's commentary. Um, so quote: We're currently engaging with the Department of Justice regarding that's obviously American regarding. Um, the breach notices it issued relating to the deferred prosecution agreement. So the deferred prosecution agreement is basically like probation for the other stuff it got in the ship for. Can you chuck me over that star? Um, and and basically when you know, we're going to fine you about a billion bucks, but you're still getting let off lightly, but you're kind of on probation you better not fuck up again. And now they fucked up again, which is why everyone's like oh my god, what's going to happen? So that's what he means by the Deferred Prosecution Agreement. Um, The resolution of these matters could result in a range of actions by DOJ um, and may likely include additional monetary payments, i.e. fines, the magnitude of which cannot at this time be reliably estimated, so there's no no ceiling on the fine. But I think... um, I'm going to read the other bit of his um, paragraph because it's got some interesting stuff worth talking about. As this process is ongoing, we remain limited in what we can say about the historical events covered in the Iraq investigation and our ongoing engagement on the matter. We're fully committed to cooperating, blah, 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 and we want to be good from now on. Um, And then he's got a final sentence where he goes, it was actually our improved compliance program that allowed us to identify the misconduct in Iraq that started at least back in 2011. So put a pin in that because I think that's a really interesting sentence that he said. Yeah, he'd already said that though. He'd, okay, all right. I well, mean, I mean the, the whole point that they were making when they when they updated on this in Mobile World Congress was that they used to get I think 260 allegations of misconduct a year and since putting in this new compliance these new compliance measures it's gone up to about 1000. Yeah. Which is how he's tried to justify it. Okay, well, it, I mean he was even more I, I, I think the, the reason, as you, as you say, I think there's a range of factors why the share price went down, and I think this this is one of them. But he was even more um, outspoken on the call than he was in the, right. the statement, because there I think it says may may include fines, whereas the way he phrased it on the call was will probably include a yeah, fine. Yeah. We expe- I think it was something like we expect it to but be the, a fine. But then the question is, so on that segment, before, because I do want to dwell on that final um, sentence, even if he said it before, I still think it's noteworthy. Um what else? So fines seem like the minimum. Yeah. So what else could the Yanks do? Well, the, the other... The, so there's two worries. One's a fine, which could be... So if it's of the magnitude it was last time, they're talking about another billion-dollar fine. Yeah. Which is something but, they can manage, but... Because they've got lots of cash. not ideal, but still. But it's not ideal. It's bad to be fined a billion dollars, obviously. You can't just dismiss it, even if you've got cash on your books, because you, you want to use that for other things. It was yeah. smart. Um, 
so it's obviously going to have an effect on the share price. And then the other measures could include, so that's potentially worse because it might include the US doing something like blocking the Vonage takeover. That would be the right. worst thing, right. without a doubt. That's that's what people were fearing. And, and there was a lot of questions about that when they did their press conference. So that's, not, that's far in, from a done deal. That, there, was a lot, there was a lot of questions by analysts on the call they did at Mobile World Congress about could it affect the Vonage takeover. Right. And they're... And they're tone then was we expect that to go ahead and I think they're still saying now we expect but when when they got asked today what do you mean by other measures they refused to speculate like Carl Melander he took yeah, the question when, I don't I don't want to speculate because he probably can't it's probably dodgy to do that I suspect when these things are ongoing you can't yeah. really sort of you know and you're not going to say oh it could mean that we don't we, we don't buy Vonage because it, then it's going to send their, their share price probably into some kind yeah. of tailspin. Well, no, I, I, they um, have to be very careful what they say on these calls yeah. because there's a whole sort of criminology about it where, where they're sort of hinting. They could get into trouble, actually, yeah. with the second, all that sort of with this Securities and Exchange Commission exactly. because of, of inside that trading. Anything that affects the share price. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think Musk, we will get onto him, but I think Musk, I, I read somewhere he's getting sued by some people for delaying the announcement of his initial stake Yeah. In, in Twitter, but because because obviously it drove up the share price. The trouble the trouble with the Vonage thing is is um, you know it's I mean they've made a big deal of that takeover and a lot a lot of people have struggled to get their head around it, including us. What about APIs? But they've made a massive and they talked about it today even about how important it is to the enterprise opportunity and all the sort of stuff they want to do. They've really talked it up. So you know, this is a, this is their biggest takeover under Ecom. Um, might might be one of the biggest takeovers ever. I mean, I can't I can't remember them doing anything for under for Ericsson. Yeah, yeah for Ericsson. I think, I think it is. Um, and, and you know, and for something like that to be sort of um, upset by a DOJ, you know, settlement is is bad. And and so it could be really you know, the, the message. The implication is if we can't buy it, it's really it really upsets our strategy. And also, there might be some kind of penalty payment to pay Vonage as well, yeah? You know, when deals get normally, broken off, yeah. there's normally some sort of... Like NVIDIA had to hand over tons of money to yeah. uh, SoftBank over the arm Totally, thing. yeah. You know, yeah. We, we, we don't manage to sort of consummate the deal, so here's a, yeah. bit, of, here's a bit of spending money instead, you know, go off and... Here's your pull-out fee. <laughs> like an agent, <laughs> agent football. football yeah. I, um, think, uh, I think the term pull-out comes up too often for someone double entendre inclined to me. But don't worry, we've discussed... That I'm not going to take it to a ridiculous extent. I actually yeah. believe on <laughs> before we started podding, I was going, could I do this double entendre? And, and Pierre was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it. It's up to the listener's imagination now. Yes, there we go. Um, sorry, you were saying before I got all I think carry I on film about it. Okay. Yeah, I just no, I just right. think the whole sort right, of way. No, yeah. that, I think that's I think that's a really good point. I mean, what I don't think they're going to do is just go right. You're banned from the US. Oh no, I don't think they do that. No, uh, because I mean, if for know, no other reason, then that would just leave Nokia. Well, exactly. I mean, and Samsung. But yeah, but it would that would be that would Nokia. be a disaster for the US. I mean, they employ a huge number of people in the US. They're yeah. one of the main providers for all the big US it'd be networks. Huge for Nokia. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hugely. It'd be like almost what's going on in Russia at the moment for you know the, with the, with them pulling out of Russia you know, to have a, a, a company that can't operate there and you've suddenly got in the future the prospect of having to swap kit and put in Nokia or someone instead. And, and it just on the flip side, it's by far Ericsson's biggest market, so it'd be catastrophic for them. So and I don't the, think the we other think... The other thing is, um, you know, uh, you get back to your point of the US sort of getting stuck in and being the policeman and all that, you know, I think they... 
you know, the, the way the DOJ is looking at this is, you know, they're probably saying that Ericsson's been bad and they need to pay some kind of punishment yeah. for it because you need to get the on top of these things. They don't want to see companies going... They can't going, just sweep it under the cup. They can't just sweep it under the cup because they don't want to sort of say, oh, it's okay to go and potentially have paid ISIS. And it comes after a long history of of bribery and corruption, let's be honest, before Ecom joined the, the company, this thing was rife in various countries. Um, so, you Riddled know, they, with it. Yeah, they don't, they don't just want to sort of let them get away with it, but they're probably looking at Ericsson going, it's a company we like and want because it employs a lot of totally. Americans and it does good equipment and we certainly don't want yeah. those Chinese people instead, do we? They're the ones we really want to hurt. So, so what's your uh, gut feel? Just another big fine or do you think they might... I think it'll be another big fine and I, I think the Vonage deal will still go ahead is my okay, gut that's, feel. That's my but, gut feel too. Um, but they might have to make an example of them and make it a really big fine. Like two or three bills. Well, like yeah, I don't know. I mean, so, we'll have to see. Yeah. So the other thing, I, point I wanted to make about that, um, it was actually, it was actually thanks to us that you know about it in the first place. Actually, and he actually said actually. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. It's an interesting sort of Englishism. He goes, it was actually our improved uh, compliance program that allowed us to identify. He could have just said it was our impl- improved. The fact he put actually in this, it was almost slightly petulant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, that could just be a sort of writer's pedantry there. But so I, I wrote after that, I said, the last sentence is intriguing. Ecom seems to be asking the DOJ to take it easy as it's only due to Ericsson's increased vigilance that this historical naughtiness was uncovered. And then I said, alternatively, it could be an attempt to exonerate his leadership and place all the culpability on the previous leadership. In other words, he's saying, this shit happened a while back, and it's only since I came in that we've been, and, and I've been all vigilant. Yeah. So I, I felt that there was a bit of messaging in that direction. Because, you know, yeah. prior to that, he was able to just blame it all on Vestberg, wasn't he? But yeah. this one's kind of overlapped with his... It has a little bit, but I yeah. think most of it was actually... Before he so was, that's what I think. I think yeah. he's saying, look, the bit that overlapped with me was actually when I was trying to get on top of it, so it's not I my d- problem. I think, I mean, you mentioned Vestberg. It's funny to me now, actually, that the... Actually, actually. Scott, actually, it's funny to me that the guy who was in charge when most of the misdemeanors were going on you know, they they sort of don't suffer any consequences. I mean, no, it's even not though like, he's running a massive US but he's company, massive, right? Running now. a massive US company <laughs> now, and it's like it's not as though they've gone after Echo personally and said you were no, but apparently there is some liability to him. Yeah, people can go after him personally. Well, but this is the thing I find strange is that you know um, no one's really said well. I mean, a lot of people have left the company to do with these not not just the Iraq one, but the previous ones. There were dozens of staff who were ejected because of the because they've been caught up in all of this and people who were who were up at sort of middle management level. I don't know how how high up it went, but there's got to come up. A question isn't there about what how high did this go and you know yeah. was was corporate governance just not good enough under um, Vestberg or yeah. was he turning a and blind so, eye to stuff and if so why and yeah. therefore should he pay some kind of penalty for that himself I don't know what you could do but it's mm. just curious that all the, all the really bad stuff seemed to happen when this guy is running Frozen. the biggest US operator um, was was in charge of Ericsson yeah. So the, the only other last thing I want to say before we move on to the next segment is um, when we wrote up the the Ericsson um, revealing they were, what was it, indefinitely suspending Russian operations, however they phrased it. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. No, that's the wrong link. Um, Andrew wrote it up and he, he reached out to Ericsson and... 
and got a, a response a day or two after he published this thing. And they said, um, this was their, this is quoting the Ericsson spokesperson. On April 9th, 22, the European Union removed the sanctions exemption for public tele- telecommunications networks. The impact from this decision not yet fully clear, but as a result, we've announced that we are suspending the effective business in Russia indefinitely. Now, Yeah, they mentioned that on the call yeah, as well. Yeah, so I just think that's interesting in that Ericsson did, you know, everyone's had to make their call. We've chatted about it before on the pod, you know, yeah. when you've spoken about people like Huawei or Amdocs or Netcracker or whatever, you know, Every country's got a dilemma, depending on what their exposure is to Russia. And to some degree, I have some sympathy with them, because it's not like they were working in Russia because they thought Russia was going to invade Ukraine. You know, they're just doing business. And they're doing business in Russia, and they're doing business in other places. Um, but, so they're all kind of, their backs are against the wall in terms of what their policy is. And obviously a safe thing to do is just bail. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the ethical thing to do, and it's not necessarily the legal thing to do. It's just the public, it's just the PR thing to do. Um, and and so Ericsson, I think, had sort of hedged its bets a little bit more Nokia. That's your impression, yeah? In terms of its position on Russia until well, this week. Well, no- they're both, oh, no, they're both have different positions. They both have different positions. Go on then, summarise them. Ericsson suspended business indefinitely, yeah. which means you're not pulling out of the market. You might do, but that holds open the possibility yeah, yeah. of going back in. Nokia's line is they're, they're, they're exiting Russia. They won't have a Russian business it's in game future. They, what they'll do is they'll support networks. So basically Nokia has about 800 people in Russia and they use a services company that employs about 1,200. And I think the plan is, from what I gather... Um, is to sort of train up the train up staff and make sure the services company knows what it's doing, so that you don't sort of leave customers in the lurch. Yeah, and you don't leave you don't you're not it, the the operators aren't in a situation where they just can't maintain stuff, for instance. Yeah, overnight. which does seem ethically dodgy, even if they're well, that, within that, a country that everyone's decided are the baddies. It's still dodgy to just bail. Well, they're not doing that. So they're not yeah. doing that, uh, and that's why they'll be there for a while doing that. But those jobs will go. Those eight hundred jobs that are in Russia will either be transferred outside Russia or they'll just become redundant positions. Yeah. And uh, from what I understand from a source is that the ones that are going very quickly, uh, and this this to me has nothing to do with sanctions, really. I mean, it might do, but I think the main reason for this is what we've talked about with Netcracker in the past and companies that have a software presence in Russia, which includes Nokia and, and Ericsson, I, I'm guessing. I, I don't know about Ericsson, but Nokia has an a, a R&D facility in St. Petersburg with about 160 people. Which is just around the corner from Finland, isn't it, St. Petersburg? Yeah, and, and those jobs are going to... Um, they, be, they're being relocated, from what I from what I've understand from, speak, from, speak, from speaking to somebody who's kind of close to the matter sort of thing. Um, those jobs are being relocated. Now, one of the reasons for that, I think, is... We talked about this. People, would you want, you know, would you want R and D that you're buying? You know, you're a Western European operator, and you're buying products from a company that has R that is partly developed that yeah. in Russia. It's exactly the same you get that concern. Guilt by association. No, it's nothing to do with guilt by association. Oh, okay. It's exactly the same concern that um, the US would have. The US government departments buy software from Netcracker, yeah. and one of the concerns they've had for years and years and years, apparently, okay. is that Netcracker uses loads of software programmers in Russia. Yeah, they've got. A, if you look at LinkedIn profiles, there's there's about two thousand people, and they're known to rely very heavily on on software coders. 
Would you would you but would you want to buy software from that's been written in Moscow at the moment? If you're an organisation, if you're a cybersecurity expert, any company, would you advise your board that it's a sensible thing to buy software you know that's I mean, been I mean, written that's in Russia? Broad, I'm not going to go too far in there, but that sort of overlaps with uh, with the sort of China aggro. Totally, it's exactly um, the same. Yeah, exactly. Is is a country and thus ev- it's every citizen and everything that happens within it. Do we? Is there just this sort of collective? Um, sort of characterization that we have of them now maybe that's the only way to realistically do geopolitics maybe the only realistic way is to say china is a bad faith actor in a global ge- geopolitical way so therefore we're just going to cut off anything no but i think i think this is and maybe that's the thing i think this is a bigger concern in the case okay. of russia because russia russia and, and the west now are effectively in a kind of proxy war yeah when, when, Huawei, when yeah, yeah. Huawei was cut off for all those reasons years ago under Trump, when when he took that big decision, you know, the the before then the US and China had been on pretty, you know, they'd been on trading terms. You know, yeah. Huawei was used in the West. Well, it still was still no, a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, um, well, the situation with Russia is very very different. It's you know, it's controlled by one man who's invaded Ukraine and and basically. The West's doing everything short of actually getting involved in a in a sort of military conflict. Yeah, and and he himself is well, is, is lobbing missiles over the border, and he himself is trying to do ways to undermine the West. So clearly, uh, he's got an incentive to to to, yes. to try to get th- you know. And then they're known. I think to Putin be, is more overtly antagonistic to Western interests. Yeah, so than then, Xi Jinping is. then they have a reputation for being people who are sort of into into yeah. sort of cyber attacks although anyway. Gets, although if you look at the, the public discourse in the states, it gets so blown up. If you look at like Democrat-affiliated news channels like MSNBC and CNN, you know they had that that um, Russia Gate, yeah, which turned out to be complete bollocks. Yeah, that uh, that um, that Putin had some kind of dis some kind of dirt on Trump, which allowed him to control him, and then it was never proven. But the Americans do; they've never got over Russia as the bogeyman. Yeah, obviously now there's a lot more justification. I mean, to I mean. It. You know, he he will be trying to do things. It's very it's very conceivable that he would look to try and get something dodgy, slip something dodgy into the software that's being written in Moscow, Saint Petersburg. If he can, I mean, that's the thing we don't know. If whether... he can, I don't think there's a lot he can't do, is there? In Russia, well, I don't know. I, I I really don't know. I, I'm not pushing back. I'm just saying I don't know. If you're a software developer, if you're an outsourced software developer in Saint Petersburg, can Putin or, or one of his representatives come in and go? Put dodgy bid in software. I'm, I'm pretty sure they can. Right. Okay. For, for, from from my sort of reading, what's going on in Russia at the moment, where you can't even turn up on a bridge and hold a placard up without someone well, sort of taking you into. Yeah, but this is what I mean. This isn't going on now. Okay. Fair I mean, point. this is this is yeah, we're, no, we're, in, a, we're in a war situation. Yeah, now it's an iron fist, and therefore everything. Anybody who's got so- software coders in Russia and has been using them. This is the other thing. Also, is the the attitude of the Russian people. Because it might not even be it might not even be somebody exerting pressure on you to do that. You might just think. Yeah. You might just. I mean, I, the, if you to go and ask a lot of Russians, from what I gather from reading, you know, news reports, is that they're, they're all this stuff about war atrocities in Ukraine and this war being, you know, Russia's fault. They, they don't believe it because they're yeah. for whatever reason. But obviously, a lot of it's to from do what with most. I read like, the majority think this is a righteous. They war. think it's a righteous war, and they they believe the sort of party line on it, and therefore they yeah. might think they might think it's a sort of. <laughs> I don't know, some kind of moral obligation to slip dodgy software yeah, code into, yeah, and, into and something. Yeah, and to be honest, so, I mean, this comes back, and, and I, will, I will move it on, because um, 
we're in danger of just going off on a massive tangent and not covering anything else. It comes back to the, a point I was making about the Americans possibly having overreached. Because now it's very easy for Putin to convince a Russian that they're being patriotic if they do anything that's hostile to America. It's easy for Xi Jinping to say that to any Chinese person. And the reason it's easy is because of this, I think, overextension, this sort of bullying approach through things like Visa and MasterCard, through things like, you know, America's companies have got so much control over the global economy, the tech giants, the financial services giants, all that sort of thing. And, and the US government at any moment can just say, right, Visa, MasterCard, Google, Amazon, Facebook, whatever, do what we say. And they click their heels and they fucking do it, yeah. or at least superficially. Um, and I, th I just think they might be shooting themselves in the foot because now you've got other nascent superpowers like India, which has quite notably sat on the fence over this whole Russia thing, just going, well, do we really want the Yanks calling the shots all the time? I mean, India's got no particular lingering affection for China, as far as I can tell. They like to club each other over the head on the sort of Himalayas border every now and then. Mm. Um, but I don't think, you know, I think a lot of countries that aren't directly affiliated to the US, like the UK is, are sort of thinking, let's say, for example, the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia. You know, people are really not sure where their affections lie at the moment. And obviously they're particularly important because of all the oil. Um, and I just think I just think the Yanks might have um, overdone it a little bit, and I think quite a lot of places, certainly east of the UK, are sort of going. Well, uh, maybe maybe pallet up I mean, China. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Is a I preferable don't, option. I don't think east of the UK. I mean, I think most of Europe's pretty horrified by what's going on, and is uh, you know these are EU sanctions as well as. I mean, we we can talk about yeah. the rights and wrongs of it and whether NATO right, agrees. East of but, Poland, then. But I think Whatever. I think most people are fairly sort of you know, regard Russia as being the bad actor in all of this. And, but I know, don't know if Saudi Arabia does. I don't know if India does. Well, I don't know if China does. I don't know if Southeast Asia, Indonesia, all these other... That most of the world's fucking populations over that part of the all world. All right, most democratic... Most, most, most countries with democratically elected governments have announced sanctions. And, and the other thing is, it's not just... It's not. I don't think it's just. As I say, I don't think it's just to accord with, to sort of be in, in line with sanctions. I think they'd want to not be there. Like McDonald's didn't close its stores because they're worried about sanctions. I think they did it because they thought, well, if we don't, there's going to be some kind of Twitter-led boycott. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And, and, PR, and, and it's actually the same with... I think it's exactly the same with, to some extent, with, with Nokia and Ericsson. I think if you... They had to. I know they had to reassure U.S. government departments and presumably even maybe some U.S. operators, Netcracker, when they were sort of selling products a few years ago, and it was apparent how heavily reliant they were on Russian coders. And you think what's happening now? There must be operators going, mm, "Hang on a minute, I don't really like the idea of you know of my vendor having a, a big software team in you know in St. Petersburg." Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And, and I don't care what I've got no issue on the sanctions front. I just I just don't want to get it from them anymore. And therefore, the the companies will go, "Well, we'll withdraw." From Russia. Yeah, I, I, but what I'm talking about is countries, not companies. Yeah. I don't disagree with anything you just said about companies, and they and and they're able to make much more agile, immediate decisions about their interests of themselves and their shareholders. But I think countries, in terms of the big geopolitical chess game, I I just think some of the stuff that's been going on with the sanctions, some of them have been so um, far-reaching and so absolute 
and they've all come from the states that I think a few people are probably just making notes, you know, Modi in India, whatever, and just going, okay, that's how it is, is it? Every time mm. someone pisses you off, you're going to pull the plug on financial services, you're going to pull the plug on big tech. Maybe, and what this really is, and I'll leave it there because otherwise I'll open up a whole new tangent that we haven't got time to do. This just feeds into something we've spoken about on the pod lots of times before, which is the sort of deglobalization and the global balkanization. Yeah. And I think it's just going to encourage... I'm not saying India's going to get in bed with China, but maybe there'll be an Indian sort of ecosystem, a Chinese Well, they, they are trying to do that anyway, the yeah, Indians. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's clear. Um, you know, Latin America, you know, they, they generally go along, but there's lots of reasons why Latin Americans have got the arsehole with the US historically. And anyway, and uh, I just think, yeah... That that's going to contribute to this deglobalization and this fragmentation yeah. of the global economy, which has got good and bad points. All right, I'll leave that there. Segment number two. Um, how long have we been going on? Jeez, was that about an hour? Yeah. Wow, right. that was a long segment. Yeah, um, <laughs> everything's really first segment because that's where we're most self-indulgent. Um, we'll keep these short and sweet because they're not huge stories, certainly um, in, in sort of magnitude and telecoms relevance. So there was a rumor. Do you know, I can't even remember. I wonder if I've. I wonder if I've got this one up. Let's see. Let's see if I'm one of two. Yes, go on. What a pro. <laughs> um, so the headline written by Andrew: uh, Vodafone and Sky reportedly eyeing up Talk Talk M and A, and this was a Sky News report. But I think other people reported it. It was one of these very much people familiar with the matter. People who think they know what the fuck they're talking about type of sources um but long and short of it we'll, we'll skip the sky bit because that's less juicy than the vodafone bit the vodafone was thinking of buying talk talk now talk talk is a uk isp i think last time i looked about the fourth largest in terms of customer base something like that um so they're a major internet service provider but they don't, to the best of my knowledge, have their own network. And that was something that you and I were trying to get to the bottom of yeah. immediately before the pod. So I might just defer to you and, and say, what what did your quick bit of phone Googling reveal? Uh, yeah, I didn't really look into this properly. So this no. is not robust analysis or anything. No. But they, <laughs> this is they five did, minutes before we they, started They recording. did announce plans to build their own fibre network a few years ago and had a, a division called Fibre Nation. But it looks like they sold that to City Fibre. So I don't know what happened there, whether they just thought this is too difficult to do and you know, we don't want to take it on or... Right. Because they sold it for 200 million and it didn't seem to be that far into actually announcing the thing, but... Um, right. Um, so, so, long and short of it is Talk Talk, which has historically just been... The biggest like whinger in the, in the UK yeah, market. Yeah, big whinger. Yeah. They've never been that great... In, I mean, they're actually an offshoot of Carphone Warehouse back in the day, weren't they? Uh, they're, Charles they're, Dunstan they're, they're, they're famous for being a real win. I and mean, this this whole infrastructure thing is interesting because they whinge like nobody's business about reliance on BT. You know, and then they start building their own fibre network, it seems, and then they don't and have they it bail. anymore, so they're still using OpenReach. Um, yeah, I think it's part of the... It comes with the territory if you're, uh, if you're using OpenReach because they're so heavily regulated... You're always going to moan about them, and I think it's basically just a kind of negotiation. I mean, they, they did have it? this other thing with. It's interesting this, the sale to City Fiber because they did have this thing they were doing in York with Sky, didn't they? This sort of joint venture that was using City Fiber, um, fiber to the home infrastructure to sell broadband services in in the city of York. Right. But I don't know what the status of that is now. It was almost like a. It was one of the first things that City Fiber ever did in terms of residential fiber before it was involved in that market because it just used to be doing you know, sort of business services, didn't it? And 
um, you know, fi- yeah. fibre to the home wasn't but, its main thing for a long time. But basically, but. what it is is you know, it's, it's got a lot of customers. Yeah. But it doesn't own its own fixed line network. Yeah. So why would Vodafone, which doesn't own its own certainly B two C fixed line network, although it's got the cable and wireless stuff on on sort of business fixed line, isn't it? Yeah, that's just a small enterprise thing, though. I that's think. not a that's bit, it's not, not a big stake. Okay, fine. Well, it's it's big, but it's not. That's not a fibre to the home thing. Or, no, yeah. no, that was the point I was trying yeah, to make. Yeah, yeah. And well, it wouldn't do anything B2B for B2B them B2B. for things like the stuff we were talking about on the last pod to do with backhaul. It wouldn't, wouldn't help, help them, them out either. there. Yeah. So, so why then? You know, given that you've been off most of this week and, and you haven't covered this, so you're relatively fresh to it. Can you see? Any reason why it would be worth, no matter what they pay, why, why it would be worth Vodafone buying TalkTalk? Talk? Well, it gives them a lot of broadband customers, I suppose. Yeah. You know, and if they're trying to, I can see that they want to do it for that reason. If they think convergence, everybody's talking about convergence, yeah? Um, and if you don't have a convergent product, convergence meaning, in this case, being able to sell fixed and mobile services in one package for a flat fee, you know, there's this long-running concern that if you only have mobile or if you only have fixed... You're, you're sort of in a vulnerable position because companies that can do both can come along, yeah. bundle something up and exactly. undercut you and, take, and nick your customers off you. So it would, in that sense, it would be a kind of defensive move to prevent that from happening. It could help them to actually just sort of look after their own mobile customers if they had this, um, as well as expand into the broadband market from a sort of retail perspective. So I can see why they might want to do it for that reason, yeah. but um, Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make it... I agree with everything you just said. Because that is, a, that is just a be buying a customers thing. Then it would depend on the price. Then you'd have to. Do well, it. But it's preventing your own mobile customers from leaving. That's that's the worry. Is that your yeah. your mobile customers are susceptible to somebody coming along, going, "Hang on a minute, you take your mobile service from Vodafone, but do you get a broadband service from them as well? We can offer both, and we can do it for yeah, exactly. the, what you're what you're spending on Vodafone. And, and at Vodafone the moment. has been trying so, to build up its B two C broadband, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, broadband. I think. So. I mean, they do have a beta. Yes, and so they use. Um, so they could just organically whatever they spend. I mean, I, I can't remember if there's a number put on it. They're an open reach uh, reseller as well, by the way, an, op- an open reach billion. customer. So three billion apparently it cost it is is what they're talking about. This rumor. Yeah. Now for three billion organically, surely Vodafone, as a as a wholesale um, user of open reach and city fiber and, and all that sort of thing. Three billions a lot of fucking marketing and, and general client development. Well, it is, but, but how many customers do they get in one go like that? How much would it take them I mean, to what, build? No, it, yeah. it would be more, it'd be more gradual, but yeah. it's a lot of money, man. Yeah, but it, but they, they'll have done the sums, weren't they, and worked out that to get that yeah. over a period of time while risking losing your mobile customers is going to cost them I, more, I think maybe. that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, steer things towards is M&A in general. Yeah. And I think we sort of largely agree that a lot of M&A turns out to be futile. Like, we've had, um, this week, we've had the final completion of the merger of Warner Media, yeah, which is basically what AT&T bought for a zillion dollars in Time Warner, and they've done fuck all with it, by the sounds of it. And now they've ended up creating this new standalone company called Warner Media, which is actually a, a merger of their Time Warner acquisition with Discovery, yeah. which does this sort of long-tail documentaries and, and shit like that. Um, but Andrew and I, when, when he was writing up, that up, we were doing some of the sums, 
and we basically reckon the total value of that new company to AT&T shareholders is something like 30 billion and what they paid for Time Warner was about 85, 50 billion. 85 I think. They paid 85 for Time Warner. Oh, so maybe it was maybe the gulf maybe maybe this one's worth 50 billion. Anyway, we worked out there was a gulf of about 20 billion. Right. Well, I'm surprised it's not more than that. This is a back of fag packet calculation. I'm surprised it's not more than that because everybody yeah. recognised that to be a disastrous example of M&A. And yeah, yeah. Failed but I mean, even while it was but, happening. Yeah, but that but this is a very different kind of deal from that. Obviously, it's not. I mean, the, that that was a controversial deal, not just because it was big big M and big M and A is always a bit sort of like people have always gone around saying, oh, big M and A doesn't really work for all sorts of reasons. But the reason that AT and T one was so controversial is because the whole premise was flawed. You know. And what do you think the premise was? Well, the premise was to have this sort of... that It made sense to have a vertically integrated media and telecom yeah. company. That was the premise. So content and pipe. Content and pipe, which yeah. is doesn't make... Nobody has said that makes sense for years. That's what no. they used to talk about doing back in the days when they were awarding 3G licenses. People don't go and watch Netflix because they've got a telecom or a broadband service as well. Because they've they? got a Netflix telly. They, this is, they thought <laughs> they'd be better, better competitors with Netflix. Randall Stevenson's justification for it was that they could compete more strongly with Netflix. And it was like, well, How? I don't get what you're on about. Netflix is a standalone, over-the-top, yeah. no network. Well, it has has some of its own infrastructure, but it doesn't have last-mile telecom networks. It just didn't make any sense. No, the whole, the whole premise didn't. was flawed. And, and it was... It was t- it was a different type of business entirely. It was a you know a telecom company buying it's like a a car company buying a you know a, a leisure centre or something really. It's, it's just, whereas <laughs> well, this this agree. at least is one operator buying another operator. But I yes. I mean the three billion. I don't know if you looked at or if anybody's written about what that is because. An analyst will have a sensible idea of what Talk Talk is. Is it? It's publicly listed, is it? Talk Talk is it? I think so. It's not privately owned or well, anything. Do you know? I might be wrong. I think Cause, maybe cause, maybe cause you it's not taken private by some. Because if it's pro- pro- on the public, equity. if it's on the FTSE, you can look at what it's worth and see what a premium they're offering to its share price and all that stuff. So oh. whether whether it's a, a ridiculous amount to offer for it is going to be fairly apparent to equity analysts who will have looked at that already. Um, you know, it's a it's a nation it's a nationwide business. It's as you say, it's the third or fourth biggest broadband retailer. So it doesn't sound outrageous to me, but mm. I don't know. I mean, what did EE paid? Sorry, not EE. BT paid what for? I can't remember. EE twelve billion, I think. Twelve billion they paid for EE. It's very very different, obviously, buying a big mobile operator. That I don't had, think it is. I just many. did talk talk share price. It came up, but I'm just getting a flat line on all the charts. Probably means it's been taken, taken private. private. I just yeah. don't know enough about Talk Talk these days. I haven't really sort of no. paid a lot of attention. Well, that's one of the things that alarms me about it. When you hear about acquisition of someone where even we as telecoms journalists don't really give much of a fuck about them, we sort of think, uh, is it worth it? I know, I, know, I take, yeah. you totally take your point. There'll be actuaries, there'll be clever people, there'll be management consultants doing all the maths and, and adding it all up. But those people are always involved in other M&A and it's normally shit. Yeah, that's my point. But but the, the, since this speculation emerged earlier this week, there surely have been someone going, Vodafone paying three billion for cable, you know, for for um, talk talk. That's outrageous. What are they thinking? I mean, even some of the analysts that we deal with, the Paolo who you mentioned earlier, or yeah. Kester Mann at you know CCS Insight, they're they're often sort of uh, you know they're not strictly they're not equity analysts as such, but even they'd have a sort of sense of whether that sounds like analysts. a yeah. like like a silly amount to offer for a company like that. But I just. Yeah, I just haven't sort of tracked that okay. story really. But I, I, to me, it would make more sense. I mean, I can see I'm sort of giving my rationale of why they might yeah. want to do it. But I still think um, maybe a more sensible thing for them to do, and this is getting back to what we were talking about last week, is go for an actual 
the infrastructure player, really. But then if you're going to go like for... Who? Well, like City, City Fiber, Fiber like City Fiber, yeah. really. City Fiber is the big... City Fiber is the only one that I can really think of that actually... And this is the problem why they might not want to do it, is because there's nobody that's built out enough for it to be worthwhile, yeah, you see yeah. what I mean? There's only really still open... Costs a lot more than three bills, they're, not gonna, they're not going to buy Virgin Media, are they? No, that's no, kind of... After that O2 thing. Yeah. Um, Imagine if they just bought all of that. Or merge, buy everything. or merge with it, rather, which well, could have been an option before get O2 Elon Musk did. involved, which is preempting <laughs> our next segment. Um, and so, who are they left with? They're, they're left with the, the biggest company other than OpenReach, which isn't going to happen, obviously, yeah. is um, is City Fiber. And City Fiber's only, I think its ambitions what to cover eight, 8 million premises by the mid-2020s. And yeah, they're and probably, it's got tons of money for people like Goldman Sachs. They probably Sachs, cover a couple of million a at the exit. moment. Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I just think, you know, and then the other thing, you know, when VMO2 happened, everyone was like, so what's Vodafone going to do? Sounds like a sort of chemical is it element. Buy, is it going to buy three? <laughs> I just think, you know, there's all these sort of compulsive um, M&A moves you could do. I was just doing a quick bit of research when I knew we were going to chat about this and, and reminding myself of Vodafone's colossal M&A back in around 2000 of management, mm. um, which I don't think went well. Yeah, I can't um, struggling to think back that far. That's... No. Uh, in fact, the one bit of M&A that's gone really well, I think, in terms of... Uh, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not an expert on this. I haven't really looked into it. But when Vodafone disposed of its 45% stake in Verizon, yeah. that was a fuck ton of money. Yeah. But that is something that it had built up with Verizon as a cable player yeah. from scratch. Because it, 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 just, it just had a 45% stake in the mobile bit, didn't it? Yes, I think so. The mobile um, was a sort of kind of joint venture. Yeah. Not quite 50 50 yeah, joint venture. Yeah, because already existed as a cable yeah. thing. You know, back in the 80s, when we only had three channels, the Yanks were worth 50 channels because yeah. they had people like Verizon I mean, the cable. Even more recently, the management was the, the whole sort of Indian saga. Right. You know, that's, which, that's which seemed well. like a great thing at the time, I think. They were thinking massive market, you know, everybody's going out and buying phones. Yeah, and, yeah. But. And I think that one probably didn't work out for, for different reasons. Yeah. Because, well, not just Geo, but I just think Indian, you know, Indian regulators' attitude to anybody apart from Geo, especially companies that are owned by foreign investors, which is what you're saying. They just seem very keen to promote yes. local, you know, local yeah. businessmen, it and actually, seems. And actually, when I was reading up on, they got about 130 bill. Yeah. Although I'm going to, in a sec, just to, just to key you two up, I'm going to, I'm going to, Introduce the Musk buying Twitter thing, and I'm going to let you chat among yourselves for a couple of minutes because uh, <laughs> my two tins on the train are catching up with me. Um, but I will, before I do that, I will um, finish off this. Yeah, when when I read about the uh, the the billions that they got from selling their stake in Verizon back to Verizon, yeah, apparently their their stated aim at the time is to spend part of it on reinvesting in India. And as we know, you know, they can almost write off their whole Indian stake right now. Yeah. Um, it's certainly been a fucking car crash for them. Well, it's, it's divested, isn't it, now? And, yeah, so it's a separate um, Vodafone it's a separate idea thing. thing. But, uh, yeah. but in terms of the value to Vodafone shareholders, it's, it's not been yeah. good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, well, as I just threatened to do, I'll move it on there. So our final segment is that we've spoken about, I think we've spoken about on the pod, about Musk and Twitter before. I think, um, yeah, maybe He bought it. like 9 or 10% uh, yeah. a few weeks ago. And then everyone's like, oh, what's going on? Is he going to get on the board? And there's all these funny tweets, and, and, and he's such an enigmatic guy. Um, and then just today, hours before we started podding, it, it came out that he'd he put in a bid for something like $41.2 for the whole of Twitter. Now, what, what I want you to chat about while I, while I quickly pop off is 
why would he do it? And I know you and I, Ian, we chatted a little bit beforehand and I think we disagree with each other on what the pros and cons of it are. So if you wouldn't mind just chatting about it while I go and uh, make myself comfortable. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, sorry. Yeah, a bit of news that I've no idea what's going on properly, but um, well, I you think... Had, you had plenty well, to say about it a minute ago. Yeah. Um, I'm just reading the... the well... Wait. I'm just reading the Bloomberg headline. It says... Well, the first line of the article says, Elon Musk has made a controversial offer to buy Twitter, saying the company has extraordinary potential. He's the person to unlock it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's offered, so... $54 a share. $54 a share, which is, and I don't know what premium that is to the current share price. It it rose to 48. Right. I mean, I think Hmm. he's got this this bee in his bonnet about free speech, hasn't he? And... I think he's he just re- likes to use Twitter. <laughs> he's a regular Twitter user, and he's often in trouble for things he says on Twitter. And um, and and clearly, from some of the statements that he made, I think even when he when he bought that nine percent stake, was sort of upset with the way that they were doing things, and thinks there's room for a free speech social media platform today. You know, he made a lot of comments. So, I mean, I think he's quite an interesting investor because he's he's he often seems to do things in a in a, because he's interested in them, you know, because he thinks it's fulfilling some kind of wider societal purpose. I think he even said at Mobile World Congress, not this year, but last year, if you remember, when they had that slimmed down show in mm. in June, and he got interviewed by um, Justin Springham, who's, mm. who's who's sort of the host there and a guy on their own publication. He was sort of saying, "I like to do things that I think will lead to the betterment of mankind." It's a very lofty aim, but mm. but if you think about some of the other things he does, he's got this plan to, to try and colonise Mars in you know at some point in the future, which is, you know, from an investor perspective, there's probably a lot much easier ways to make money yeah. by colonising Mars. But at the same time he's also he's obviously successful financially because he's you know, he's made a lot of money out. So Scott, basically what I was saying while you were gone. Um, Sorry everyone. I mean we'd only just yeah, we haven't got very far, really. But I was just saying, he, one of the one of the things he said about Twitter, I think even when he bought the nine point two percent stake, and he was he was actually making noises about it on Twitter, and you know, on, and there was things leading up to that that move that he'd said about the need for a kind of proper free speech platform, and obviously it wasn't happy about the way things had been done in the past. I think he'd been quite critical of. He's he's apparently quite friendly with Jack Dorsey, isn't he? Well, but didn't I mean, like fellow this, tech superstars. But he didn't like this. I don't move. know how friendly they are. Well, he didn't like this move when Dorsey stepped down and got replaced by Agraval yeah. in in November. He put up some quite insulting photograph on his Twitter oh, feed. Did he? I think I missed that. Did you not see that? No, what, did he, what was so Agraval? So it was a picture of Stalin next to some guy that he purged in 1940, some some NKVD up. official. But Stalin's face had been replaced with Agraval's, and and um, and the, the NKVD God, officials no, had been that. replaced with Dorsey's. And then underneath that picture, there was just. Yes. Darling, and 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 Dorsey disappeared. It was just Agravel and Dorsey so this disappeared. So him saying that you got rid of my mate Dorsey. Yeah, I, got, I completely missed that. Yeah, um, that was December that he did that. He's a he's a funny old goat when it comes to I that don't know, sort of thing. Agravel, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. He's Indian, but yeah, um, Agrawal, Agrawal, maybe. Uh, I think yeah. this whole thing is Elon was like, all right, I'm going to start with my own platform, and he spent a week on it, and he was like, no, fuck this, <laughs> I'll just buy one. Well, <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. Okay, it's too so, much effort. So obviously, I don't know. I, I didn't give you that much time because I'm so efficient at. Uh, well, I was just saying that I think he he, he does things um, 
sometimes in the not in a sort of traditional investment sense. Certainly not. No, he, I agree he, with he that. likes to do. And I even made this comment. I was saying last year at Mobile World Congress where he likes to do things sort of for the betterment of society because he's got some kind of particular interest in it. I mean, mm. colonizing Mars isn't an easy way to make cash, is it? There's, there's, there's like, probably more straightforward ways of doing you know I mean? it. So, yeah, you can mining an asteroid, you, know, you could just make an yeah. NFT or something. Yeah, you know, and the things like the Boring Company even isn't isn't um, you look no. you look at that and you think he's not going to make a quick return. But then on he that. can suddenly it's, be it's, quite it's, petulant. Do you remember uh, about two or three years ago, there was some big drama <clears> because a, a bunch of school kids had got trapped caving, I think, in Thailand yeah, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> he, called, he called the British guy Sus. No, he called yeah, him, he he him pedo-man. Pedo yeah, and, and, and all it was was, was Musk, uh, you know, being Musk had went, oh, I've got a submarine. I'll fix this. Yeah. I've got a submarine, because, as you do. I'll yeah. make one. Yeah. Um, and then this other guy went, well, I think my submarine's better. And then Musk got quite petulant on Twitter. Well, he didn't use it. He, he They just do they dove and didn't use a submersible. Right. And then on an interview... It didn't fit. He, now, he, he was the guy who was rude first. The guy, I can't remember the, the British diver's name. He yeah. got involved in litigation. But he went on CNN. Well, I think Musk was the baddie, wasn't he, in that one? So he, the yeah, guy yeah. went on CNN and he said he can stick his submersible where it hurts. And, and then, obviously... And then started insinuating that he's some kind of nonce. Well, then immediately after that, Elon Musk responded because he obviously didn't like... Oh, I see. Sorry. So you're saying that the English guy kicked it off. All right. Elon Musk contributed a submarine. They didn't use it and just basically led a diving expedition. Mm -hmm. And on CNN, when they were talking about it, the, the British guy who was involved in the diving went, you know, he can stick his submarine right. where the it sub hurts. The sub didn't fit, basically. That's the, that's the quote. It was too long, so it didn't fit. Um, the uh, sub. Musk, yeah. yeah. There was only one sub. They didn't. They didn't use. They had to go. The English guy didn't have his own little English sub. No, no, no. Oh, they right. didn't have a, a submarine. They were divers. They okay, went and rescued sorry, these I guys in the diving the thing. Thing. I thought there was yeah. a sub competition. No. <laughs> the best possible sort of metaphor for and 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 then Willy waving competition. Musk's sort of childish response to that was to sort of go, "Oh, he's he's obviously a paedophile." Yes, a British guy in time. It was, and, it and was not. Yeah. It was not edifying episode for anyone. No, it wasn't. Anyway, the only reason I bring it up is. Yeah, Musk's a bit weird like that. For someone who's super bright, super influential, super rich, etc. Sometimes he just doesn't behave like you expect yeah. someone like that would. Anyway, I think um, an interesting thing. So, we, I, I'm a big fan of taking people at their word. Yes, you can be sceptical and you can speculate as to whether they're lying. But it's really important to hear what their word is first. And so this is... Um, Exhibit B in the SEC filing of I Want to Buy Twitter is apparently a short email or message or missive from Musk to Brett Taylor, who's the chairman of the Twitter board. And he goes, and I quote, I invested in Twitter as I believe in its potential to be the platform for free speech around the globe. And, and then he put a comma, an Oxford comma that's not in the right place, so that's not ideal. Uh, and I believe... Um, free speech is a societal is a societal imperative for a functioning democracy. <coughs> New paragraph. However, since making my investment, I now realise the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. And then uh, penultimate paragraph. Uh, as a result, I'm offering to buy 100% of Twitter for this much money. 54% premium before he bought his first lot and 38% premium on the day he made the offer. Uh, this offer is my f is my best and final offer, and if it is not accepted, I will need to reconsider my position as a shareholder, which is basically saying that the, about the 20% jump it had when he bought his 9% 
you can kiss that goodbye. Yeah. And then he, he signs off by saying, Twitter has extraordinary potential. I will unlock it. So if we take what he says at face value, and I find it plausible, you know, I've seen him on Rogan, I've seen him talk. He, he's obviously not just a normal capitalist who's just obsessed with accumulating more and more wealth. Yeah. And by the sounds of it, some of the ventures that are doing extraordinarily well now were, were by no means a fucking done a sure thing. I mean, Tesla, I still don't quite get why it's as successful as it is. I, I, I think I got in a cab. I, maybe it was in Spain. Maybe it was a cab I got from the airport in Barcelona. And it was in a Tesla. Yeah, I was I with you. You complained about it. That's it. So yeah. I was speaking a bit of Spanish with yeah. him, wasn't I? Yeah. Uh, and he, was going, well. he said it's one of the worst cars ever. Oh, it was Amsterdam. Oh, was it Amsterdam? The guy complained then? in Amsterdam. Oh, yeah, okay. taxi. We, but we were all in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you remember that chat? He said that yeah, it, the, door, the Model X, when the door's open and it has rained, all the water rushes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And also electronic issues. But I mean, I think they've gotten better over time. Fair enough. No, I'm not saying they're shit. I'm just saying it's not necessarily obvious why no, no. Tesla is quite as huge as it is. Um, other than the, the sort of broader sort of eco electric car thing. And fair play to Musk, he's been early to the game on that. Well, one. it's like a, it's a luxury product, isn't it? Yeah, we associate Tesla as a brand is now synonymous with the higher end of elect, electronic electric cars, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're almost a bit like um, they're a bit like Apple is to smartphones. Yeah, you know, they they they're like one of those. You know, you, you kind of if you've got money, that's where you want to be. You yeah, want to be yeah. perceived to be getting a Tesla, and even if you, you know, end up getting the 60k Tesla, which even if you get one that has rain coming in when you open the yeah. doors, it's still better than owning whatever a Chrysler or something. Is there a 35k Tesla? So there we go. Yeah, I was um, just renewing my car insurance, and having to estimate the value of my car. I was struggling to hit a grand. But I, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know. I know you're saying it's really successful. But the, the, one of the weird things about Elon Musk's companies is, and I know you, you were saying earlier, he's like the world's richest man, or he's up there anyway in the conversation on paper, on paper which is all based on sort of share price, yeah, yeah. which is o often quite removed from how companies are doing and the, un the underlying chunk, performance. A massive chunk of Tesla. So I don't really, I having you know, someone who doesn't cover the car sector, I don't look at car companies' revenues and profits and what they're doing. I don't really know how. I know people want to buy it, and it's you know, I mean, its valuation has been quite volatile in recent years, hasn't it? Because so partly because of Tom comments that he's made on Twitter, hasn't it? Sort of gone up and down a bit. Yeah, yeah, and he gets in trouble for that. And he gets in trouble. I mean, for he once it, said you know. on Twitter, "I think it's overvalued." Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the fiduciary rules are on that. But no, for I a don't. CEO to say, "I think my company's over," of course, that's going to have effect on the share price. But, but to take it private in, in terms well. of you know, if we measure companies not on share price performance, but on how they're actually doing, you know, sales and profit growth i don't really know much about M musk's success there whether the companies that, he, <coughs> that he's behind are you know in the way that equity analysts measure the performance of companies on those traditional measures whether any of them are doing particularly well i don't know how spacex is doing what well, i do know i mean spacex to yeah well spacex maybe is one of the more successful ones because it does have contracts to take all these satellites up and they seem to get you but know i don't know if i've misunderstood but, your question but but tesla is a resounding success in terms of financials, in terms of creating... Is it heavily wealth. profitable? Is oh, it I see. No, I, that, I don't know. Company? I, I don't, is it I, running up losses? And I don't know. I might, I might try a quick Google on that. Um, but when I a lot of people thought Twitter, it was a fraud. Um, but, you know, if we just take a share price as a proxy, yeah, um, then it's doing really well. It is, but but that's, you know... As I say, share prices are funny things, aren't they? Because yeah, they're, they're often very removed from the reality, and then and that and this is how sometimes you end up getting 
boom and bust situations because the share price is doing this and the actual underlying performance of the company doesn't reflect that and then everybody panics all of a sudden and yeah. You know, him coming out and some of the stuff he said on Twitter about Tesla just makes you think, mm, Yes. It's maybe he's. Well, he said some it. crazy shit. We wrote a story earlier on this week, which, needless to say, because I'm shit at my job, I haven't fired up. Oh, yeah, there we are. It was my headline. Um, my headline was uh, Musk winds his neck in for now after weekend tweet frenzy. And he just, this is before we knew that he was going to put this bid in. But he he sent this tweet, one tweet which he hasn't taken down, which says, most of these top accounts tweet rarely and and post very little content. Is Twitter dying, he said, having just bought 9% of the motherfucker. And and he's talking about Barack Obama, that's got 130 million followers. Justin Bieber, who's number two, with 114... I mean, why? I don't understand. And Katy Perry's... Obviously... I'm a 50-year-old man. Why would I follow Justin Bieber or Katie Perry? Well, I don't understand why anybody would follow anyone, to be honest. Or Rihanna. Or really? Taylor Swift. I mean, it's mainly pop stars, Lady Kim Gaga. And then, and then Elon Musk is number eight, though, with 81 million. Narendra Modi, the Chinese, the Indian prime minister. But that's just by virtue of fact there's a lot of Indians, I guess. I bet, he, I bet he's one of those people who hardly ever uses it. And, or I don't know. Is he, or is he more like Trump, who's always on it and... You can sort of picture him in the evenings know. on his well, I, on his futon. If Trump his... if Trump hadn't been kicked off Twitter, I mean, that, so this is one of the things. Just to steer it back, by the way, this is what I think, and this could easily be me projecting my wishes onto Elon Musk, who I've obviously never met and don't know. Although he has been on Rogan once or twice, and I think anyone who's been on a long form podcast, you do get to know a little bit. It's not the same as him going on CNN and just talking for two minutes and picking up their company. Yeah, you get to know him a bit. I mean, he's he's, he's a bit of a weird guy, but mm. there's no hiding place on a three-hour podcast, I don't think. Um, and and I just think he I think he's driven by things other than just pure cash. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he so he's saying that he's he's really into free speech. Yeah, and that's obviously one of my manias. That's one of my obsessions, and it's not just because I've picked a team. It's because I think, you know, the reason we do this pod, this pod is about free speech. This pod is about unfettered, blah, 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 talking shit. We might get it wrong sometimes, but it's it's only through, and I think this is why those people who do like the pod, or at least one of the reasons they like it, is because you're just thrashing out concepts. We could be thrashing out concepts like this, or we could be trying to get our head around whether new radio is any good or not. But it's only through conversation that it happens. Because without conversation, what you have is experts. What, we could get someone on who's an expert. Like maybe, maybe this will be a challenge next week with Neil McRae. And he'll go, he'll go, listen, lads, this is it. Just fucking take my word for it. But even he deserves to be challenged, albeit by people who understand the subject matter less than he does. And, and, he, you know, and fair play to him for putting himself in that hot seat and being challenged. And it's not scripted. He doesn't know what questions we're going to throw at him. We're going to be drinking beer. It's yeah. not a controlled environment. And so that's that's why I feel strongly about free speech. I think that's the only way in which you get to truth is by backwards and forwards chatting it out. There's no absolute truth. There's not one book called The Truth that's got the absolute everything. It, it, truth is, is, is sort it's of... like an Oprah book. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Book of the week. Mm. Um, you know, truth is, is a product of things like consensus, inquiry, trial and error, all sorts of... It's, it's a very messy thing. That's why, you know, when people talk about the science, you know, it's not as simple as that. Um, some people might insist it is, and you'll get certain things like climate science or, or COVID or whatever, where people insist as an absolute. But I think we found that, 
all these things are a bit more nuanced and messy. So that's where I'm really enthused by someone like Elon Musk with all his money and power and influence, his stated aim being free speech. I guess what I'm curious about, I'm willing to take that at face value, although it does seem like a hell of a lot of money. Check out there, but I'm willing to take him at face value that he thinks it'll be a philanthropic act. Well, I, I am as well, because as someone who says that he thinks that we should try and colonise Mars for the betterment of, you know, humanity and to provide a sort of survival place in the future, obviously, as I say, he's not driven by... Just pure cash. Pure, 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 cash, tweet from pure investor yeah. motives, you know, the sort of things that normally excite financial types. And, you know, I think he's... Yeah, so... I can you, see why he'd want to get involved. But your pushback before we were chatting was the, the plausibility of it as an investment. I mean, what do you think but, about Twitter as a company? Well, I'd, I'm dubious about... Uh, to me, Twitter is... But for a start, it ran up a loss last year. Yep. You know, and um, and I think if you look at it about over the last... I think if you look at it over the last few years in total, you know, what it's done, it's it's loss-making. Because there were, there were losses until... 2014, 2015, 2016 yeah. or something even. And then they had a couple of profitable years and then because of litigation, which is something they can always potentially be involved in, um, they, they ended up um, running up a loss last year. I don't know. I mean, I don't personally, as, as a site, I don't really like it. And I'm wondering no. if that whole, if, if it sort of had its moment in a way. I mean, if you look at user engagement, it's certainly not in the same situation that Facebook's in where things have started to, to dip and... They're now talking about the metaverse because they're probably realising yeah. there's not a future for them in social media anymore. Uh, it, I mean, there is for a while, but if you look at the trajectory, it's probably yeah, going to be difficult for yeah, them. Because yeah. basically, because youngsters don't use it at all. No. But I, I, even Twitter, I'm sort of wondering how... It, it seems to be of our generation. You know, it came along and people got very excited because you could sit on the toilet and say, I'm taking a shit now. And for some reason, that was really interesting to everybody that you could come out with this one line. Have you ever actually tweeted taking, No, but, you know, that's... I about to say, don't start now. I'm waiting at the lift. I'm about to get a burger, you know. And, yeah, yeah. and then people started to use it in a slightly more sort of interesting way to express opinions. But it's it's a lot of... Get the old lobster claws out, Scott. Well, There's is, a lot no, of blah, 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 blah. But, but that's you know, both the positive and negative about it. Like, Facebook isn't that. It's not a dynamic discussion. It's it's old-school internet where you set up something and have a discussion thread on the bottom of it. Twitter, if it's done well, which it rarely is, I completely agree with you, it's mainly a, a hideous place where, where it brings out the worst in people. Yeah, it does. And th there was a recent article um, by a really a really good um, social psychologist called Jonathan Haidt uh, just about how the mechanics of social media just fucked everyone's head up. Yeah, but, but that... Because, because you've got this liking, it, it just brings out this sort of tribal, nasty mean girls, playground, bitchy side in people. It does, and that's why his, his sort of lofty ambition of having a free speech social media site, where, why, where I sort of my pushback would be, although I agree with that person, I like the idea of being able to just go and say anything you want, the nature of the discourse that you get on Twitter uh, is is already quite... It's already quite sort of... It's like everybody shouting at each other in a nightclub at the same totally. time. And it's just... To but me, it's just going to potentially just make nightclub. it even worse. Yeah. And, 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 then, and then it becomes potentially an, advertise, an advertiser's nightmare. They're already worried about it. So... As we just said, maybe the investment side of it isn't really what concerns him. But I'm just wondering, even if you're just looking at it from a free speech perspective, does it just become this sort of noisy, unpleasant place to be no, in? I think, that I think that's a really good question. I think um, what he couldn't do 
It's just have Twitter as it is now with no restrictions and filters. Yeah. Because, you know, I disagree with decisions like kicking off Trump. Yeah. I don't think so. So do I. I think it's um, a stupid decision. Yeah, it's just, just, it's just spectacular, especially when the fucking Iranian Ayatollah is still on there. Totally. Yeah. Um, but you obviously have to have some degree of filtration, some degree of moderation. You can't just have people saying the most fucked up stuff. Uh, and you can't have people saying illegal stuff, yeah. like like calls to violence and that sort of thing. Um, so all I can imagine is that he has got ideas about the whole mechanics. Like I did, you know, I'll plug my book briefly. One idea I played with in my book was a social media platform like Twitter, which has a sort of sponsorship system. So the only way you get on it, let's say I'm already on it, sort of at Scott Bocchino, the only way at Ian Morris gets on it is that I sponsor you. I right. say, and then I'm kind of responsible for you. And then if you go off the reservation, start coming out crazy shit, then it's on me to rein you in. Yeah. And if I don't, then you get kicked off, and then I get some kind of demerit as well. So there's just this hierarchical sort of pyramid structure. Anyway, that was just an <laughs> idea I was playing with. I haven't, I haven't obviously thought it through. To you the, should write to Elon and say, I should. Elon, this is. What are you doing? But I, although I think, uh, imagine if Elon Musk went read Scott's book. I just wonder whether the last podcast you see me on. <laughs> I, just, I just wonder whether we're obviously fans of free speech, and I've had lots of conversations with people about this recently, even in the last yeah, week. All with friends, journalists should be with, with friends, and I, my concern would, uh, and he obviously is as well. But I just wonder if there's the same appetite these days for. for Sadly, yeah. sad, sad, sad though I am to say it, I wonder if there's the same appetite for free speech in the wider world. Because I, I, I get very worried when I talk to people that I've been friends with for years who come out with remarks that, I mean, even this even gets down to things like the whole Will Smith, Chris Rock incident that happened at the. At the, at the Oscars, people think he was where, right to where some people seem to think that it was okay for him to do what he did because yeah. Chris Rock said something nasty and offensive he about his wife. But, thing. but that that to me is free speech and you should always be able to say things yes, and not fear physical violence as a consequence of what you've said that to me is when of course you know and and so i just wonder whether this I mean, how whole, can we do this pod if there was the prospect well, totally, of one of us kicking off yeah. physically you know and i, I I'm not it's, regardless of whether you agree with what chris rock said or not or whether you you thought the joke was insensitive you know, I still think people, comedians should be able to go out there and say what they say and push the boundaries and yeah. be offensive. And they shouldn't have to fear someone getting up on stage and slapping them for doing it. Yeah, not and, everyone and can be Michael McIntyre, who's really funny, but on quite safe material. He is, yeah. Some people are going to be edgy. And therefore, when I hear lots of people that I know sort of defending what Will Smith did, I sort of think, well, maybe there's not that much enthusiasm these days for so free I, speech, which is quite I, depressing. Neither but, of us can obviously point to, and I'll probably, uh, we're coming up to half four on it, uh, I'll probably wrap it up unless you either of you two got anything more to say on it. Um, I slightly pushed back on that, just anecdotally, just talking, for example, to my son and his girlfriend and his friends and just getting a sense of... One interesting thing about talking to people who are 17, 18, which is what my son is, 18 in May, um, it's, you know, it's nascent, they're new. However bright or educated they are, they're still... They're still new adults. They're still working shit out, but they do, but they'll still have this sort of instinctive, visceral sense of right and wrong and, and morality and and all that sort of thing. And they're, and they and they're just starting to play with those things, really. And I just think most people aren't stupid. They don't like being told what to do. They don't like being lied to. Um, they generally want people to just get on and be groovy. 
they're not into this tribal let's all get at each other's throats the whole time. You know, when things get too politicised, it all gets very boring, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, let's say, let's say you and I w- were both more <laughs> sort of partisan politically than we are. There might be certain things we get into where suddenly you'd be like, ah, oh, it's typical fucking Tory. And then you just get into all that, and then, and then that just sours the whole discourse, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and I just, from what I've seen anecdotally, I think... Not just among people of, of of Jack's age, but among people a little bit older. Uh, like we were out um, last week. I'll give him a shout out actually at the end. They probably won't have listened this long. But uh, last week we went out with um, some people from White Oaks PR agency. And most of them are half my age. They were like 24. I forgot you went to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I got my mates Gavs and Johnny <laughs> along. So it was like the crusties versus the young adults. But, you know, they were great company and they were groovy. But you are you get a reminder that, you know, 25-plus years of different life experience obviously counts for something. But I didn't get any impression from them that they were particularly tribal, particularly woke in inverted commas. I'm yeah. sure certain things, if they've come up, some people might have pushed back. I just think most people are quite normal and they don't play these little political games. And maybe that's... So, so to go full circle, <coughs> maybe that's what, what, what Musk perceives is that Twitter is not serving most people. It's only serving the margins. It's only serving the most militant, the most yep. shrill, the most motivated people. And I don't know what the mechanics would be, but if you can find a way for normal people to join in again without it being toxic. I mean, you know, from a from a um, like a career point of view, I, I never go on Twitter because I know the easiest way for me to get sacked and this is no commentary on Informer, this would apply whoever I was working for, the easiest for me, way for me to get sacked would be to say something strident about, I don't know, transsexuals or something. Yeah. On Twitter, on a Friday night, when I'm feeling, I've had a couple, I'm loose. And then Monday morning, HR's like, yeah, that, that's not in line with our values. Pack your bags, yeah. son. So I just don't do it. So what we ideally would like and what I think, no, what I hope... Uh, Musk's utopian vision is is a place where you can have public discussion but it's done in a sort of civilised way that normal people can join in with and the and the stakes aren't so cripplingly high whether or not he can pull it off that's another matter entirely but I'd quite like to see him try yeah cool alright we'll wrap it up there so uh, yeah thanks a lot for listening make sure you join us for the next one <laughs>